0: And a lot of it actually stems from how your parents taught you about money. If you were really private about money or if you hoarded money as you know, as a parent, that example is going down to your children. Whether you tell them or think you teach them about money, it's what you do. It's how you are showing them how you're including them. And when you make mistakes, are you showing them how, how you're doing better with that? It's one of these areas that parents want to think, well, no, I, I don't want to let my children in on any of this. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want them to see my insecurities. And I think the opposite.
1: Today, we're speaking to Dr. Travis Perry, international speaker and coach to financial professionals and entrepreneurs. He helps them to live their life on purpose so they can teach their clients to live their life on purpose. Travis, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast for Family Money Coaching.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: I met you a couple years ago. Uh, well, t- technically didn't meet you, <laughs> but I was on a podcast or a, excuse me, a webinar that you um, did for AFCPE and what you said really touched me. And so I went and stalked you and found out um, a little bit more about you, found you on LinkedIn and connected with you on LinkedIn because I I really liked the messages that you were sharing and uh, found out that that we have a similar um, alumni college alumni. So I was pretty excited about that as well. Your story closely aligns with my own very personal path that I have taken of connecting marriage and money together. And I I just really love that. and I love your message. So I'm so excited that you get to share your message today with my clients and listeners. Uh, So would would you please tell us how briefly how you started on your path to help couples with their finances and their marriages?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate you know the time you spent to track me down and, and get in touch with me. It's been fun. Um, uh, nowadays, we can get so much information from the internet, and it's it's even better to to, to meet you in person and talk. So my my path. I mean, really, it, it started a long time ago wanting to understand money as a kid. I felt like my parents did a really good job of raising us, teaching us so many things, teaching us hard work, teaching us to, you know, not spend money everywhere and 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 the value of giving. But there was something interesting about that I didn't learn about investing and, and earning money, uh, maybe in a smarter way. And so I thought, you know, as a young kid that I would figure this out. In fact, as a as a 12-year-old, I had a paper route. And on my paper route, I was doing the collecting. And on this, on this paper route, I was knocking doors and trying to get people to pay me for a month of newspaper service that I gave them, right? Because that's what we, we had to do back then. And I had a little paper receipt, and I'd rip it off and say, thank you very much. Um, and not everybody would pay, which was, that was kind of a harsh reality. But one guy was home in the middle of the day. I'd never been able to catch him. And he he paid for like three or four months. I'm like, whoa! This wait a minute! Like, (laughs) what's going on here? You're so nice. And he's like, no, I want to pay up, and I want to go be square with you. I'm like, that's fantastic. You know, what do you do for a living? And he told me, he said, I I invest. Um, At that time, I didn't know that he was a day trader. I had no no idea about markets, uh, but I knew that somehow I wanted to be involved in investing. And at that point in my life, I was determined. I was going to become someone who learned about investing and could teach it to other people as my personal, you know, giving back. I, I wanted to do that. So years go by, I get into college and I, I try to get into a financial planning emphasis and it didn't, it really wasn't the program best fit for me, but I landed in a financial planning role, started off with insurance and really liked the planning part. So I got my licenses six and 65 and was working towards the seven and the CFP when I was meeting with a lot of clients, especially young, married clients, and I thought, gee, you know, so naive, they're gonna come to me and they're gonna want advice and they're gonna do everything I asked them to do because I am the planner, right? Um, not, not so much. Uh, in fact, uh, as, as you know, Laura, that a lot of it is coaching and coaxing and persuasion, so I learned everything I could about human psychology. And I started taking Brian Tracy courses and Kurt Peterson courses and anyone that I could get my hands on. Like I would put the CDs into the car and I would listen. Well, it got to the point where I had listened and gone to and paid for so much coaching and training with Bill Backrack and others that are out there. Doug Carter, I could just keep dropping names. That um, I felt like, wow, I really have a good understanding of what everybody else knows. Maybe I should take a deeper look. And so I had, a a, at that same exact time period, actually a a very tragic thing happened to our family. My father, who I had been working to try to get some of his financial plans in order with his business and personal, and I was trying to gain his trust on that, um, he passed away very, very suddenly. Age 49, in a mountain bike, just a normal mountain bike ride. And they call it the widow maker he Had no idea it was coming. He was a very healthy man and just left my mom and six children, um, three of which were still at home. So as being the financial advisor, my mom employed me to come and help her. And I volunteered for several months to basically get all of her affairs in order. It was the very first life insurance claim and the very last, because after that, I had some really long thoughts and, and, and queries: is, is this the right career for me? Does that make sense so far? Am I going too no. too deep on this, Laura?
1: No, I love the story. I, you know, knowing, knowing someone's background, it, it helps to help them um, be real. And this is a fantastic story. Love it. Keep going.
0: So the rest of it really from that point, I realized my father and his shortened life as we know it nowadays, right? 49 is not um, the 90 year old life expectancy that we have today. And that was 13 years ago. I was pretty furious and confused in going through the grief cycle while I was trying to help my mother. And it got to the point where I started to examine basically every aspect of my life, my health, my fitness, um, how we, my wife and I, how we parent our children, um, what we do for schooling with them, What uh, I'm doing as a career, our own finances, and we made huge transformational changes in our life. Um, I could honestly say that most people, if you looked at any part of my life, you'd say you are a weirdo. (laughs) We homeschool our children. We don't eat meat. um, You know, we're active LDS members of the church, and we really, I think, are a very um, interesting population because no matter where we go, we feel like, wow, we've changed so much about our life and really transformed each area. That business was that one that I thought, am I really supposed to be doing this anymore? Am I really helping couples <laughs> or am I just selling? Am I just trying to make a buck? And that drove me back to academia to really understand couples. So I did a master's in psychology. a PhD in family and human development. And to make this longer story longer, um, long story longer, really, I I didn't ever, ever dream about doing anything academically past an associate's degree. No one in my family ever had. So I was the first to get a doctorate in my family and and really try to understand this issue around couples and, and money. So I created a whole curriculum During that time, I tested out on couples to try to figure out what it was about money that um, caused so many problems in marriage. And yes, it's the number one issue that couples fight about. No, it does not cause divorce. And we can talk about that. Um, But it is the number one issue that couples fight about. It's the most emotional, even more than sex and parenting. Um, And there's a lot of misnomers about money and myths about money that couples really just Number one, they just don't talk about it because they don't know how. Um, I literally spend most of my time trying to help couples deal with this issue. And I train financial advisors and coaches and others who are dealing and helping couples to know how to help them as well. So that's my passion. That's my mission. And again, at the age of 12, connecting these dots, now it all makes sense. It all makes sense why I, I saw this in my own parents, my own family, and why I'm so passionate about this today. And and this is my mission. This is my purpose.
1: It's awesome. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. One of the things that I really love is your tagline: uh, "Live your life with purpose." And I, it's so similar to when I end my podcast, I say, uh, "Live your financial life with intention." And the, I just, uh, I love that they are so closely aligned. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm doing something right. Someone else is saying the same thing. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> One of the things that we talked about briefly um, before we came on our podcast was we, we started talking about values, shared values that couples need to have to help their relationship be successful and, and understanding how the shared values relate to money. Can you delve into that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. That fits perfectly into the segue into what I was talking about. When I went back to school to figure out what's going on with couples at that point, I put out of my mind anything financially, um, which is weird because I ended up coming out with a program that had everything to do with money and finances. But I put out of my mind that, okay, couples and money and their arguments, and I really wanted to delve into everything couples related. But all the literature brought me back to money. And so I really scratched my head and I thought, okay, what is it about money? I have a degree in psychology and I understand people have different views. but what about, what about couples? How does that kind of fit? And a lot of researchers out there today um, will very much focus on differences. They will very much focus on, because most of them are psychologists. They're financial psychologists, um, people like Koller and Klontz, they have a lot of great literature. They have a book called Facilitating Financial Health, read it, I've read both editions, Um, fantastic work. But the biggest thing that they focus on is, well most couples argue about money, because they view money so differently. While that's true, and while that is totally accepted, I learned a long time ago that in human relationships, the reason why we like each other, the reason why we are attracted to each other in the very first place, um, yes, there's always a physical attraction, that's number one. Right, right. Uh, Two, two, and, and there's a good reason for that, but number two, the other attraction that's there is actually how similar we are to each other so i looked at that theory and said yeah this individualistic psychological theory why i totally understand where they might be coming from i don't think that's the foundational issue i think that's a really good way of maybe helping it in the in the financial planning office and you know quickly trying to address something but it's not the fundamental foundational issue so i did uh, some study on What is it that brings couples together? I looked at virtues, religion, values, and I found that while there's a lot of research on religion and and virtues by Fowers, um, that there wasn't really anything in the literature about values. But values are what people have in common. When you talk to someone, Laura, and you meet them for the very first time and you just mentioned this, hey Travis, you know, you have your tagline, live life on purpose. And I say, live your financial life with intention. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> well, yeah. Right. So we instantly connect, right? right? And when right. we talk about like, Hey, we went to the same school, boom, instantly connect. We didn't talk about, Hey, Laura, look how many things are different about your life compared to me. No, you don't do that first. You do that later. When you, after, after a couple who's madly in love goes past the um, dating, you know, engagement, and then marriage, they, they get married, that's when they start to see all the differences. Well, yeah, Travis, they're living together. Well, not so much anymore. Most people actually live together before they get married. It's this trend. Um, but even so, once you're past that honeymoon stage, you haven't really focused on the differences until later. So if the differences is all we focus on, and we don't bring couples back to their foundation, what it is that brought them together in the very first place, their values, then we've missed the boat. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I think that when someone is going through adoption, fertility, they, they have so many emotions and they do look at those differences. Well, you know, I want to have kids. Well, I, I, you know, I want to have biological kids. Well, I want to have a kids. I just want to have kids. You know, you start That's looking it. at those differences and it starts dividing you as a husband and wife. And if you go back to your shared values, like what, what is it that's important to the two of you together? Start with that baseline and go back to that and then build upon it. Instead of focusing on, on the, how that's gonna happen, focus on the why.
0: That's it. That's exactly right. Um, and I think my, my, um, my work with shared religion and I used to think it was because people will go to church together and actually it's not really that true. Yes, you need to go to church together, but the research shows that it's more what you do at home versus even public religiosity. It's the private religiosity. And if they do that together um, and that's why if a Jew marries a Christian, yikes, um, there's some fundamental values that are very, very different there that they're going to have to reconcile. Uh, but, you know, if, if two Lutherans marry each other, their, their success rate of marriage is so much higher because they have fundamental values that keep them together. So I translated that into financial values, parenting, religion, um, all these other things, and I tested it. I tested on over 3,000 couples uh, across the country and found in our research that when couples had high levels of sh- values sharing... So it's not just that they want to have kids together, it's they want to have kids really bad. Like this is so high top priority. If one of them has really low priority, then even the fact that they want to have children together, it might actually create a conflict. But mm-hmm. if they both want children like highest priority, then they're going to do really well in their relationship. I found that that if they um, want children, and I think this this is pertinent to your discussion with Um, adoptive parents that if they want to have children uh, that's actually one of the highest um, factors that we found that was correlated with how successful their marriage was and what's interesting is a lot of people think well okay so you get them all cuddly together but maybe they're not so happy individually and the research found that they were also incredibly happy individually as well and If they had financial goals and shared financial values, they also did so much better financially. Um, And there's other research out there to support that. But I I did that in the dissertation and found that that was key. So that really backed up the the curriculum that I've developed and tested um, and found that it really works with couples. When they can sit down and talk about their values and first you know, just talk. What is it that I believe about money? Now, let me ask you, Laura, where, where, when you're talking with your clients, where do their financial values typically come from?
1: From, from their past or their family, you know, how they were raised. When I, when I discuss with them about their, their history, I remember one um, man just, uh, just this last year. And I asked him to list five experiences he had about money, and he, it was all from his childhood. And here he is; uh, he's in his thirties, and all of the financial decisions that he makes and the mistakes that he makes are from experiences that he had from when he was a kid, and they influenced him as an adult male. And so that was, um, you know, it's very eye opening to me when when I meet with people and they have. Um, a hoarding issue or spending issue, or, um, maybe they, they can't spend money. It's, they're just super, super tight. There's always something from their past, some experience that triggers them and causes them to be that way as an
0: adult. Most people, when I do this exercise with them, I ask them to just talk to their spouse about what their beliefs are about money. And then I ask them afterwards, you know, where do most of your beliefs come from? You're exactly right. It comes it comes from their childhood because of their parents. Their parents either have done a good job or they've not done a good job, but either way they teach their children. And so I spend a lot of time, I go to homeschool conferences. We homeschool our children. So we go to these conferences and they ask me to speak about um, how to teach your kids about money. Because it's so interesting, um, in a lot of these conservative circles and things we want to talk about, sex and sex education and da da, da. Yeah, we're going to talk about that all day long. It's so um, interesting how our society has gone from how taboo that topic used to be to, no, we need to talk about it with our children too, but we're still never going to talk about money. It is the most taboo topic. Um, and it blows my mind. It's, it's so most- funny
1: because, because yeah. I'm so open about money. And, you know, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, how much money do you make? And they're like, uh, oh, I don't want to tell you, you right. know, but... But to me, it's just like, you know, just another thing to talk about. I don't care. I'm not judging you.
0: (laughs) No, and and it's a weird thing with family, right? Um, Their status within family. Sometimes family members don't want to divulge what they spend because people are going to judge them about that. There's all sorts of emotions here.
1: Absolutely. And,
0: And a lot of it actually stems from how your parents taught you about money. If you were really private about money or if you hoarded money, Um, as you know as a parent that example is going down to your children whether you tell them or think you teach them about money it's what you do it's how you are showing them how you're including them Um, and when you make mistakes are you showing them how how you're doing better with that it's one of these areas that parents want to think well no I I don't want to let my children in on any of this and so you know I, I I don't want them to see my insecurities. And I think the opposite. I think that parents that can give a good, you know, best effort example, and then teach your children, I messed up here. I wish I would have done that. That allows them as a child to say, okay, my parents aren't perfect. A, we already know that. And B, um, man, I shouldn't do that in the future either. And it allows them to learn. So I was thinking about, you know, adoptive parents, And it doesn't doesn't always mean that uh, adoptive parents have babies, right? Sometimes they adopt children who are much older and they come from pasts (laughs) and they have much, you know, uh, different experiences. Maybe they've been in three or four different homes where, you know, money was just never talked about because it was, you know, maybe the situation was so dire, um, so poor. And you really need to have those conversations and teach that having money and utilizing it as more of like a stewardship, as a responsibility versus everything else that the world teaches us. To spend it for status or to hoard it um, like a Scrooge, Um, but to have a healthy relationship with money or at least a healthy viewpoint is going to do so much good for your children whether you raise them from birth or from, you know, um, from zero up to, you know, if you have somebody that adopts adopts into your home as a teenager, there's there's work to be done either way.
1: That's a, <clears throat> that's a really good point. I, I hadn't thought about um, focusing on that aspect because um, I've been focusing on preparing people to adopt and, and to go through fertility because that was my experience, you know, the hardship for me. But I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's really – Key, you know, when you're you're dealing with someone who's eight, nine, ten years old, they've seen how their their birth family was or their first family was like, and and now they need to be able to change their money story and be able to then be able to change the direction of their life um, by understanding how money can help them. It it has such a huge part of your life. Where you go to school, what kind of job you um, get, where you live um how you raise your children you know money does influence all of those aspects and and you know to me a lot of people say well i don't really want to talk about money because you know the love of money is the root of all evil no i i think that the lack of money is the root of all evil but if you don't talk about it at all it's influences so much if you can't take care of your family you know where are you going to live if you you you, you got to have money to be able to pay your bills you know it, you have to have a car here in the United States. Well, except for in the big cities, you you need to have a car. Right. Otherwise you're walking for an hour to get to the nearest <laughs> place. Um, and you know, being able to afford sure. that and understanding that the intri- um, intrinsic, is that the word I'm looking for? The intricacies, inter- intricacies. Yeah, int- <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: intricacies of money and how it, and in- it, it uh, is involved in your life in so many different places. And I love that you mentioned that we need to, to teach our children, even the older children that we adopt as well. I love that.
0: Yes. Now what's, what's great about most parents who want to adopt, um, most of them do have values and values aren't just religious um, values come from every part of your life and values really are defined as a principle that defines your direction so it directs you a prince a principle that can say okay this is what i believe in therefore i'm going to follow it it could be a religious value it could be a financial value it could be how you you know a, a work value whatever it is whatever aspect of your life but i will tell you that a lot of religious values um, tend to conflict with good financial principles and you brought this up so i'm going to go with it
1: okay go ahead
0: uh, and i just talked top- I just taught this the other day, because a lot of people who are Bible, you know, studiers, they'll go to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, and they will misquote it all day long. And they will say, well, money is the root of all evil, right? And you brought you brought up, you actually said it correctly. The love of money is the root of all evil. And Christ was teaching that, you know what? Um, to be a Christian, to follow me, you, you don't really care about the materialistic things of the world. Um, We talk about the rich young man. Well, what about the rich young man when he was told to sell everything he had and come follow Christ? Well, um, that's because Christ knew that he loved and had a desire for his possessions. And afterwards, he told his followers there that, you know what? It was because he had a lot of wealth. It wasn't, we didn't know that up until that point. Nobody said that the man was rich. It just says young man. But Christ knew that that was what was keeping him. He did all the other commandments. He did everything else he's been asked to do. Um, so at that point, his disciples were actually questioning and saying, well, what, what are we supposed to do? Like, who's supposed to get into heaven then? <laughs> like, almost as if to say, who could get there? But Christ said, it's not about the money. It's about me. If they follow me, then they will get into heaven. And that's the religious principle that I think sometimes gets confused, and and Collar, in their book, Facilitating Financial Health, actually have a section in there that say, religion is hurting financial health. And my thought and rebuttal to that is, no, religion is not hurting. Maybe the misunderstanding of what we believe about our religious values are getting in the way of our financial values, because maybe we don't study it as well as we should. So... They call it financial scripts or money stories, right? But I call them the financial scriptures. If it's the Bible, it's the Quran, whatever they study, whatever they get their values from, I invite people, go study them. Find out what leaders say and their religious backgrounds say about money and really dive and delve into those values and then ask for themselves, what do I really believe? Or am I just been hearing this from my great-great-grandfather who went through the Depression and had to scrimp by on so little that I'm still the exact same way? And then he actually says it's because of the Bible. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're right. Um, let, me, let me give you a quick story. I had a, I had a couple I was working with. I had no idea before I got started that they had divorce papers literally written up on their counter. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have worked with them. That's not who I work with. I work with people who, who have good marriages who just, you know, need additional help. Um, but I was willing to help them nonetheless. And he was in construction after the economic disaster of 2008 and nine. He was trying to clean up his business and figure out what else they could do. But he was waiting on people to pay him. In the meantime, they had you know, major financial issues because she could not spend or, or she would spend money like crazy. You would think She would not spend it because that would help their situation, right? It was the opposite. (laughs) And you're probably scratching your head going, what in the world? They're almost bankrupt. They're going to lose their house, but she just spends it like crazy. So we had this conversation and I asked her to do the same exercise. Tell me about what your parents thought about money. Mom, dad. And I was like, mom has an okay relationship with money. Seems like dad was problematic. Tell me about your dad's dad and your dad's mom. And as she explained it, she said, oh, yeah, my dad's dad hated money. Depression era guy and would say, you know, um, that, that, that money is the root of all evil and I should never spend it. It's filthy lucre. And I thought, OK, that has gone two generations down to this poor woman. And then I helped her explain. I explained this to her that, you know what? I wonder if you spend money like crazy because you hate it, because you don't understand it. Because you don't have a good relationship with it. And so you're gonna get out of your life. Now, most people, that's not logical, is it, Laura?
1: Right, that right, is right, right, right. That's
0: not logical. But that's what we need to understand is most of these are not logical. They are fallacies, they are fiction, and they are made up stories that we tell ourselves about money that just are not true. And they probably don't fit our religious beliefs. And they probably don't fit good financial practices because they're emotional. (laughs) And it's what people have told themselves for probably generations. And I guarantee you that that grandfather, he probably got it. If we talk to him, he probably got it from his dad and his father. And it's gone down three or four generations. She was able to break that cycle and able to get a healthier relationship with money. And what actually happened is in about two or three weeks, I kid you not, they received a $50,000 unexpected check from work. And because she had a better relationship with money, it didn't just fly out the window. They were able to clean up their financial situation. I was able to help them get back on, on their feet and really become a stronger team. Five years later, I followed up with this couple and said, hey, what are you doing with life? How's, how are things? And they said, you would never believe it. We went from almost divorce to running a business together, helping other couples. And I thought, whoa, just because they were able to clean up their act financially, look at what it did for their life. Um, I can imagine that if couples that are, you know, trying to adopt, I have relatives that have been through that process and it's heart wrenching and friends that have been through this process, heart wrenching as it is, it's never been my challenge. So I can't personally attest to this, but I know it's challenging. And so for your listeners... I think that if they can help tackle that financial issue together before they ever even sign papers, even think about putting up their profile, wow, they can be on a really good financial team with you, Laura. Uh, That is such an incredible thing to be doing before they tackle this huge um, challenge together.
1: Thank you. So something that you said um, the last time that you talked, uh, it really struck me he said, you don't need therapy. You need coaching someone to hold your hand through the process, which kind of relates back to what you just mentioned that, you know, while you're going through this, this process of, of life, you know, sometimes you just need someone to guide you along that path and, and hold your hand and say, Hey, you know what? I've been down this path before. This is the bump you're going to experience. This this is the, the, the road that you need to turn right on. Okay, now you need to stop. Now you need to turn left. Um, and, and having someone walk you down that path, it helps you to make fewer mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, but um, hopefully you are not making the same mistakes that they had made because you're learning from their experience.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I will say some people do need therapy and that's not a bad thing right. um, in our society. In our society, we tend to view as oh you're going to therapy, right? Is this Stanley? But I would tell you, there's a reason why I did not become a therapist, and it's typically because in our society we wait six years on average, six if we have marital problems to go to a therapist. So the people that go to therapy, because I looked into becoming a therapist and wanted to know who would I be working with? And I talked to therapists and I went down that road and they said, Well. A lot of times it's people who are basically saying, fix me or we're going to be divorced next week, mm-hmm. but she has a lot of pressure, and that's kind of that first client I was telling you about that, that had those issues, and she just didn't tell me that they'd been to therapists, and this is my, their last straw, but I was interest, it was interesting to me that sometimes we think, well, you know, go to a therapist, and that's your, that's your last straw, but what about coaching? Coaching is totally different. Therapy is designed to listen to you, not give advice. It's designed to help um, at least talk therapy. There's all different types of therapies and I won't get into everything, um, but most talk therapy is really designed to help you to unload. And so those therapists are there to you know, guide you by not saying a thing, by helping you to self-reflect, helping you to come up with the answers, and that can sometimes be very, very effective. And sometimes that can work. However, in the real world, most people don't make it through therapy long enough to make it effective. They give up, they don't like the therapist, there's lots of reasons, but it's only about 30% effective. Um, so I think, wow, uh, an intervention that's only gonna work one third of the time, why would I even wanna go down that road? So I looked into coaching and I, I, because of my own personal experience, um, wanted to know how could I teach better and how could I help people. Coaching takes a client from a point A to a point B and says, now we're finished. (laughs) It's not forever and you have some skills. I'm gonna teach you skills. That's what a lot of people lack. They lack the skills now once they understand their values. They lack skills on how do we manage these funds together? So I teach them communication skills, I teach them problem-solving skills, I teach them how to have better intimacy in all areas of life, not just sexual or physical, but um, spiritual, emotional, mental, and financial intimacy. Um, I teach them all of those key elements so that they can be prepared to take on the money aspect. Um, Once we get to the money aspect, they understand their values, They understand how to work together as a team. Now they're ready. Now they're ready to work on their finances. So you don't get that with therapy. You don't get, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, Some therapists are trained as coaches and educators. Those, I think those are the good ones. That's probably the therapist I would have been. (laughs) I would have been the therapist that, you know, listened and done everything and said, okay, um, now if you want some coaching, (laughs) this is what I'm gonna suggest. And I think a lot of therapists have seen that they, they should in, incorporate some coaching. Um, it's not just something to get around being a therapist. That's, I need to make that clear. That it's a totally different type of help. And most people, most people are in the space where their relationship is pretty good and they just need some additional help. But if they wait six years, that problem of money could deteriorate to the point where now they need to go to a therapist just to be able to, to, to have somebody listen to them. Um, but I think some therapists ought to, and should refer to financial coaches or become financial coaches if they want to uh, on their own to help them teach them skills. Does that make sense, Laura?
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, to wrap up our interview, um, what would be, I, I know you work mostly with uh, financial professionals to to help them help their clients, what would be your advice to financial professionals that are dealing with their clients?
0: Yeah, really good question. So I teach on this and I, I'm asked to speak on this a lot. And that is number one, help clients, their own clients spend time together. And so this, this is perfect for your audience too. Um, they need to spend time together. Time talking about their values, time learning how to communicate about money, and time to actually put in place the things that they should be doing financially. While values are fundamental, time is the element that if couples have it together in common, that is the number one factor that improves their relationship. So it's interesting because I had a couple who um, I wasn't even helping, but I was sending them to a therapist. And I was following up with them and I said, how did it go? What was the best thing about this therapeutic interaction? Because they seemed to get a lot out of it. And they said, you know what? It wasn't even the therapist itself. It was the fact that we had to drive an hour in the car alone (laughs) to the therapist and then back. I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? Time is the number one thing. So as a financial planner or a coach, or even as a financial therapist, what I, I teach them is to have their clients... Spend 30 minutes to an hour once a week. I call it having a money night, a money time, whatever you want to call it, um, where you just talk about money. Get over the tabooness and talk about it with your spouse, but do it in a charitable, loving way because you love that person. (laughs) Um, Be patient, be kind, have all those virtues that we talked about earlier and treat that person with respect but then see your, your shared money responsibility as a stewardship, as a responsibility that it is to provide for your family, to take care of your wants and needs, and then be able to follow you know, good financial principles that will allow you to, to see that through.
1: All right, thank you so much. we were listening to Dr. Travis Perry, international speaker and coach to financial professionals and entrepreneurs. To teach them to live life on purpose. Thank you so much, Travis. Appreciate your time. Be sure to visit our website to connect with Dr. Travis Perry and to see more of the information that he puts out. He's provided some fabulous content. I've really enjoyed learning from him. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Dr. Travis Perry as much as I did conversing with him. I really enjoy talking about marriage and money and how we can strengthen the relationships that we have. We got married to stay married. And despite the trials and tribulations that may come down your path, we can become stronger. And on the other side of our journey, look back and say hey this was for a reason for those of you who are subscribers to our email it will be coming out within the next week or two we'll be talking about the marriage of equals and great stuff in there about the rules for your money date and some tips about communication so make sure that you are subscribed to our email by going to familymoneycoaching.org and hit subscribe until next time live your financial life with intention